Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Well, awesome. Well, it's great to see you all. Um, I think tonight's message is going to um, just speak to a lot of people, myself included, but I'm really excited about it. I've entitled it, um, God's Supernatural Kind of Love. And um, um, I go deep in a, in a few areas, but uh, I, I think it's going to just bring some great insight to many of us here and just show us um, just how to stay on the right track. Man, love is such a huge thing. It's not a minor you know, in college, there's majors and there's minors. Love is not a minor. It's actually a major, a major, major. And um, so I want to start there, but it's going to go into how it affects us and also how it affects our relationship with other people. Um, before I kind of dive into my message, I wanted to share a scripture and present a challenge to everyone here tonight. And uh, my challenge is this, especially to married people, is for the next two weeks, for 14 days, to the end of the month... Or till leap day, I guess. Depending on if you start tonight or tomorrow. But for 14 days, to pray for your spouse 15 minutes a day for 14 days. Um, I think it's a good challenge. I'm going to start today. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago and said people could do it leading up to Valentine's Day. But I haven't started yet. So I'm going to start probably tomorrow morning. I'll probably be too tired tonight. But tomorrow morning, Pastor Aaron is going to start praying for his wife, Pastor Heather, 15 minutes a day. If you're single... If you're single, you can, you can pray for your future spouse. If you don't want a future spouse, you're, you're very content being single. You can pray for Pastor Aaron and Pastor Heather, 15 <laughs> minutes a day. Pray for our marriage to be extra blessed. Anyways, I'm just joking around. I want to share this uh, verse. I just think it's so powerful, and it's before I dive into my message. It's from 1 Peter 3, verse 7. And this is, this is incredibly powerful. And this is a word for husbands. And I'm a husband, so I can preach to the husbands. I've been married four years, four and a half, I don't know how long I've been married. Four and a half, four and a half years. It's been four and a half years. 2019. Because we were able to go on a honeymoon before the world shut down, so that was really nice. So God's timing was really nice. It was uh, 2019. It's four and a half years. First Peter 3, verse 7, husbands. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding. I love that. Just be understanding. It doesn't mean you have to f- solve all their problems. It just means be understanding. Sometimes things don't make sense to you. But still be understanding, even if you don't understand. Does that make sense? If there was a book that made everything make sense on how to understand women, it would have been a bestseller. <laughs> So I think, I think this is divinely inspired scripture, you know, to Peter, who was married, and he just said, dwell with understand, be understanding. You don't have to show them that you understand everything and know how to solve everything. Just be understanding. That's a great word. Um, giving honor to the wife. This is huge. In the Greek, giving honor to, the word for honor means to set a value to how do, how, do you, how do you determine something's value? So it's saying that you're actually to give, to pour into them to increase their sense of value. Does that make sense? You know, to, to make extra money over the years, I've bought and sold watches. I'll buy a watch, I'll shine it up. I'll, sometimes I'll buy a watch that new would be like $5,000. I'll buy it for 1000 because someone didn't really set a good value to it. They didn't take good pictures. They didn't really get it looking nice, fixed up right. And they'll just sell it to whoever. I'll buy it for $1,000. i will just do a few little things, take better pictures. 
and, and I'll, I'll ascribe a higher value. I'll sell it for $2,000, and I'll make $1,000 profit. So I, I'm, I'm taking something that's undervalued, and I'm, I sense that there's potential there and greater value. So with your wives, you, you, are, you are to give value. You are to add value into who they are. That, that's actually extremely powerful. So your wife shouldn't feel less than for being around. She should feel, you should make her feel like a natural woman. You make me feel like I mean something, like I'm valuable, like, and you're actually doing things that increase her value to herself, to you, to others around her. Does that make sense? That's actually extremely powerful. So giving honor means you actually increase that person's value. Um, and it says, and it says as you, do it, you do it as to the weaker vessel. So it's not saying that she is the weaker vessel. It, it means how you treat her, how you go, how, how you, you, you're, you're tender, you're, you're trying to, to always elevate this person. Does that make sense? It's not saying that, that she is weaker, but you're to treat her with care, with compassion, with, with these things. And it says, and, and this is super powerful, and as being heirs together, say heirs together. If you're married, look at your spouse and say, we are co-heirs. We're in this together. Of what? The grace of life. And it takes grace to live life, especially when you're married. And you're going to be heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. That's really powerful there. I don't want my prayers to be hindered. Strife, man, strife cuts down on what God wants to do in your life. Whether it be at home, whether it be at church, whether it be in your workplace, in your family, man, discord, strife, contention, man, get, get it out. So that's uh, just my message for husbands tonight. Um, and I'm, I'm, I, would, I, I felt like I should say that, and it's a good reminder to myself as well. All right, God's supernatural kind of love. My first point tonight, a revelation of God's love will transform you, radically transform you. God loves you so much, so incredibly much, that he has made it possible for you to be a part of his family. Man, it is so important to always go back to God's love. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Man, just, just thankfulness, being thankful for what God has done, being thankful for his love for you, it will transform you. A pastor I heard here not too long ago preached a great message on the divine imagination and talked about your thankfulness. And when you're thankful, your imagination will work the way God intends it to. But if you're unthankful, it'll actually work the way the enemy wants it to work. So if, you, if you're around someone and you're just hearing a lot of unthankfulness just, just on repeat, I know the enemy is, is wrecking their mind and trying to get them to do something very destructive. Thank you, Jesus. That, that's, that's my little three-year-old's favorite song. She wants to sing it every night. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. And she's a night owl. She wants to stay up. She wants to go into glory to his, if you leave out the glory to his name, Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Na, 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 And then I'm like, all right, good night. She's like, no, glory to his name. Glory to, and she yells it loud, too. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Man, keep coming back to God's love for you. A revelation of God's love will transform your life. I love what um, John, the beloved, writes. He just kept going back to God's love. I think every night when he was on the island of Patmos all by himself, he would just lay his head down and just say, God, I think that you give your beloved sleep. I'm your beloved. You love me. And just even though the entire world hates me and has exiled me here, you love me. And that's enough. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, it, it all starts with the love of God. That's what brings you into his kingdom is his love for you. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Man, keep going towards the love of God. The love of God will actually teach you how to walk right in this world. The love of God will actually help you live a life of purity. And it all starts with that love of God. And I love what he says in the second verse there, that we don't even know what we're going to be like, but when we see him, someday when we go to heaven and we see God, when we look in his eyes, it's going to bring us to tears, but we're going to see a lot of resemblance. When you really love someone, when you really love a, maybe a natural parent, for those of you who had great parents, a mother or a father, you you want to be just like your parent. You know, I see little Ada. She, she, she has a little toy you know, um, sink that, that sprays out water, and, and she washes. She wants to do whatever mama is doing. And when she says she's da she sees daddy put on his brown pokey boots, she, she wants to go get some brown boots and put on brown boots and say, look at my boots. Why, why, does, she, why does she gravitate towards being like us? Because she knows that we love her. And if you know that God really loves you, you're not going to try to be not like God. You're going to want to be like him and just, just, just out of you, supernaturally, you're going to become more and more like God. That's what John is saying. He's saying when you are just really rooted and grounded and know that God loves you, it's supernaturally natural. You're just going to become more and more like him. And when you see him, you're going to say, wow. You're a lot like me. I'm a lot like you. You're going to see that you've inherited a lot of great things from your heavenly father. You're going to see, man, I, I see how your love is in me. I see how, man, I, I, in the natural, there was no way for me to love that person. There was no way for me to forgive that person. There was no way for me to move on. But I can tell that your love was in me, that the father's love was in me, and you helped me love like you and, and in my own ability, in my own personality, there is no way for me to be patient and to just hold on to your promises. But your patient, you gave me your patience. You gave me your patience in my relationship with other people. I can see that your joy is in my life. I can see that your hope is in my life. I can see that it's your faith in my life. I can see that your love is in my life. Man, keep going back to the love of God. Matthew 22, verse 37 you can turn there if you'd like with me. Matthew 22, verse 37. 
through 39, it says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you know that God loves you, you're not going to hate yourself. You're not going to be tough on yourself. You're not going to think that you're just a piece of trash. All That's the enemy that, that puts those thoughts in your, in your heart. But those are not thoughts from your heavenly Father. And you need to take those thoughts and throw them in the trash. Several years ago, when I was just 17 or 18 years old, I was still in high school. I had, I had a, a good friend. She later... she. Um, just, just, just a good friend of mine, um, a group of friends of us were at, at her house, and her, her mom was a, a single mom at the time. She'd been married two or three times, and she was reading a book by a very famous Christian author. I didn't know who it was at the time, but she said, from reading this book, I, I feel that I'm like, God doesn't love me, and I'm just going straight to hell. And I told her, just take that book, light it on fire, put it in the trash, never read it again. That, that, those thoughts that it's generating in your heart are not from God. Later, I heard the same minister minister a couple of years later in person, and he literally preached against the love of God. Man, being confident in God's love for you, it, it, is, it is paramount. It is foundational. It is so key. Even when you mess up, keep going back to God's love for you. I'm not saying that everyone here, myself included, is perfect all the time and deserving of God's love. But every time you go, you go back, you go back to God's love for you. That's what transforms you. That's what empowers you. That's what changes you. Amen. I'm glad that this is a grace church. That, that this church is named Karis Christian Center. That it's built on a revelation of God's grace, a revelation of God's love for you. Hallelujah. Keep going back to God's love. And when, when you realize that God loves you, you're going to be able to go out and minister that supernatural love to other people. You're going to be able to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you think God hates you and you hate yourself, how are you going to love someone next to you? Yeah. If you carry that kind of hurt from the enemy, hurt people are going to go out and hurt people. But God doesn't want you to stay hurt. He wants to heal you with his love. And, and, and when you keep going back and you keep learning how just, just remove those blocks that hinder you from going to the mercy seat, from going to that throne room of grace, whatever religion, whatever oppression, whatever thoughts, whatever lies have been spoken over you, when you learn how to just bypass that as quickly, you're going to be able to get over offenses quicker. You're going to be able to forgive better. You're going to be able to move forward. You're going to be able to, to, to just be undefeatable, more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love what Jesus said in John 15. Let's go to John 15, verse 9. And if you're, if you're going to try to minister to people, try to love people without really knowing that God loves you, you're going to really get burnt out pretty quick. I, I have to go back to that place of, of God, God loves me, I, man, on a daily basis, if not hourly. John 15, verse 9. We'll read a few verses here. As the Father loved me, man, as the Father loved me, 
He's just demonstrating how this love thing works. As the fa- it starts with understanding that the Father loves you. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, again, keeping the commandments, following after God, being a disciple, living a righteous life, it starts from knowing that God loves you. Religion will twist it and say, man, if if you've missed this mark, I don't know if if God's really going to love you. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. Man, people that know that God loves them, they are joyful people. I'm glad that I'm not for months, you know, living in penance and I've heard like evangelical ministers from just right across the the road over here talk about, you need to do Lent, you need to do something for Lent. And you know what I'm gonna do for Lent? I'm gonna give up Catholicism for Lent. (laughs) I'm gonna give guilt and shame up. I'm gonna live in joy until Easter and then I'm gonna keep living in joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full, fullness of joy. This is my commandment that you love one another as I, again, as I have loved you. When I heard something that, that Kenneth Hagin and his wife prayed together every night together, Lord, help us be a blessing to others. What a powerful prayer. This is another powerful prayer that spins right off that help me love other people like you do. Man, a great way to minister to people, to, to, to reach out to people. Man, just, just, just ask God to lead you with his love. To, to God, place your compassion. Lead me with your compassion. And God, God will point out people that you'll, you don't even know, you've never seen before, that you just have, you can just feel God's heart going towards them. You know, and, and, and I'll, I'll kind of simplify it this way. When I, when I was in college in Pittsburgh, getting my bachelor's degree, um, there were two grandmas that, that took care, care of me. Um, one was the pastor's mom, and um, it took me like an hour and a half, two buses to get there, but one of these spiritual mothers to me would give me a ride home after church and usually take me out to lunch. But the pastor's mom, a great, great woman, she... she um, was very high up in the Aglow ministry. She led like 35, at the time maybe she's done more, like 35 different Aglow tours to Israel. She, she led like a, a ministry in Aglow to, to, to minister to Muslim women. But um, when we got to lunch, almost every time she would find someone to, to minister to. And, and it, it, it was very simple how she did it. She would just approach someone that I believe that God just led her to and say, it might have been the waiter, it might have been the hostess, it might have been someone in the parking lot. She'd just say, hey, I'm a Christian. Um, I love to pray for people. Can I pray for you? I remember this one time, this this young man who was our our waiter, I could tell he was on the LGBTQ spectrum of some sort, just in his demeanor and how he dressed and acted. And she just said that, you know, I'm a Christian. I love to pray for people. Can I pray for you? Is and she, and uh, this, this person said, yes, you can pray for me. And she said, is there anything I can, I can pray for you about? And he just opened up and said, I, I have a strange relationship with my mother. Can you pray for me about that? And she just started praying for him, just a spirit-led prayer. He just 
he just broke down in tears. Just crying. I, I know he was experiencing God's love flowing through this person to, to him. It's not too complicated. Man, be, be moved with compassion. Be, be led by the Spirit. Be sensitive to God's heart and love for other people. Amen? So a revelation of God's love will transform your life. Um, secondly, this is, this is a huge point. A wrong self-image, if you have a wrong self-image, it will actually lead to, to harm towards other people. It will negatively impact people around you. And I'm going to give you a great scriptural example from this. I talked about how when you understand that God loves you, it'll help you minister his love to other people. But if you don't really understand that God loves you, doesn't really care about you, you can't really trust in God, um, and that, that you're just, just you've, you've bought into the devil's lie that, that God is holding out on you, um, that you're not worth anything, that there's no reason for you being here, it, it's going to lead to harm to yourself, but it's also going to lead you into hurting other people. It'll hold you back. And um, I'm just going to tell everyone tonight, don't buy the number one lie from the enemy. The number one lie from the enemy is that God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. God is upset at you. People around you don't care about you. The enemy likes to spin it around to other people around you. People around you don't care about you. People don't respect you. People don't... And I, I heard a great message yesterday from Mark and Trina Hankins preaching on, on, on love. And they said something that Kenneth Hankins said. And he said, if you, if you think that, that, that people don't care about you, that, that you don't get the right kind of respect, he said, Kenneth Hankins said, that is just the enemy just working on you. He'll work on you. It's a lie from him. He'll try to push these things in your head when you're most vulnerable. Listen to this. Those lies from the enemy that God doesn't really care about you, you're not really worth much, that, that people don't really care about you, everyone hates you, you, don't, you aren't respected enough. He's going to fill those things in your mind when you're most vulnerable. This is when you are tired. This is when you're stressed out. This is when you're hungry. Sometimes you just need to go take a nap and eat some ice cream. And then you'll thank the thoughts of God. <laughs> when you're most vulnerable, you're, you're tired, you're stressed out, you're overworked, you're not doing well physically, maybe you're dealing with a loss, don't let him work you over. Don't be ignorant of his devices. It will harm you and it also negatively impact people you are supposed to be a blessing to. And this actually goes back to the original lie. Genesis 3, verse 5, the serpent said, God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What was that snake saying? He was saying, God is holding out. God doesn't really care about you. You aren't really that smart. You aren't really worth much. You really can't see clearly. Your eyes are shut. You don't know anything. You aren't anything like God. You aren't created in his image. You're just little robots. There's no purpose to your life. You're here by accident. You're here because of just some cosmic great big boom accident. And there is a little one-celled amoeba sitting on a rock, and the sun hit it, and it just morphed into this meaningless blob that has too many wrinkles and you know, has a receding hairline and is a little overweight, and he'll just keep going on and on and on and on. But you shut him up. 
Say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are his works. I am the handiwork of God. I am the apple of his eye. I am the gem of his creation. You don't know good and evil. There really isn't good or evil. Everything is relative. Sure, God has said that this is good and this thing's evil, but well, what's your truth, Eve? What do you really feel? Don't buy it. Don't let the devil rent space in your head. You need to see yourself the way God sees you. You need to be established in his love for you. A grasshopper mentality will not only destroy you, it will severely harm people around you. And many of you have heard messages that, that allude to the grasshopper mentality. But it wasn't just the 10 spies that were affected. Man, it affected a lot of people in a very negative way. A wrong self-image will harm other people around you. Let's go to Numbers 13. I want you to see this because it's super powerful. Numbers 13, starting in verse 25. So Moses sent out these spies in verse 25. It says, they returned from spying out the land, the promised land, the God that the land that God had promised them. They knew it was God's promise. They had seen God's miraculous hand. They spied out the land. They returned after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, showed them the fruit of the land. They told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It, it, it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the mountains. Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. I love this. Caleb, he quieted the people before Moses and said, he just put a stop to their complaining. That's enough. Quieted quieted these grasshopper mentalities, quieted them. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But they spoke up again. They'd gone up with him. They said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. So now it's not just the giants. Now it's just the land itself. It's the, the, the bugs there. You should see the mosquitoes they have there. It devours its inhabitants. All the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Then we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. This mentality, this imagination, this ungratefulness, it didn't only just affect them, it affected everyone who bought into it. It affected everyone around them. So much so that here in chapter 14, verse 1, it said, All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. The people wept that night. Rather than thinking about how much God loved them, the good things that he had done for them, being thankful, being, they just wept and cried and had a big flesh out that night. 
all the children of Israel complained against, again, it's, we're going we're to find someone to blame. Let's blame Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. You better be careful. Man, your, your, your mouth. Another great preacher I heard here a couple weeks ago. You have two sets of eyes. You have physical eyes to see physical things. You have spiritual eyes to see spiritual things. You have two sets of ears. You have natural ears to hear natural things. You have spiritual ears to hear spiritual things. But you have one mouth. Your mouth is that bridge between the spirit and the natural realm. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Victim mentality. Why, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Let's find someone extremely incompetent. Who has no reason, no right, no skill, no whatever to be a leader. And let's just... (laughs) Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, this is so crucial here. But Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy out. It is an exceedingly good land. You have proof of that. But not only that, they brought it back to God's love. If the Lord delights in us, Caleb and Joshua they knew that God loved them, that God wasn't mad at them, that God wasn't out to get them, that God wasn't just okay with us, but that God actually delights in us. If he delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel. Do not rebel. Rebellion happens. Sin happens when you believe the lie that God doesn't love you. This minister, this very famous minister, who preached against the love of God, says, if you focus on the love of God too much, you'll get into sin. Trash. Rebellion happens when you, when you think that God does not delight in you. That's what leads to rebellion. That's what leads to screwed up behavior. Verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. I love that. They're saying that there is difficulty out there. There are giants out there. But hey, we're going to overcome, and as we overcome, it's going to nourish us to keep conquering more and more. We're going to grow stronger and stronger, bigger and bigger. That giant you are facing there, remember that God loves you, that he delights in you, and that challenge that you're facing, it will become your bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That grasshopper mentality, 
seeing everything through, through, through that lens that God does not love me, God is not pleased with me, God does not delight with me, they passed it around. It wasn't just those, the 10 negative spies. Only, only two people from this story entered the promised land. Over 40 years later, Caleb and Joshua. I, mean, I, love, I love Caleb and Joshua. They were such people of faith. When they got to the promised land, man, Caleb reminded Joshua of, of what Moses spoke over him. The prophecy that was spoken over him by Moses, saying that, that I'm going to go into that promised land. He said, remember, I was 40 years old when Moses sent me to, be, to spy out the land. And I brought back word. And my brethren, they, they were screwed up there. Their hearts melted. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses swore to me. He promised me on that day. He made a promise to me on that day. This is Joshua 13, verse 9. He swore unto me, 14, 9. Swore unto me that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. How many of you love that word, forever? There are certain groups of people in the world that do not like that word. But it's there in the Bible for a reason. Because they have wholly followed the Lord my God. It said, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am, this day, 85 years old, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, for going out, for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. Last point tonight. When you let God redeem your self-image, it will positively impact other people around you. It will bless others. When you let God redeem your self-image, when you, when you realize how much God really loves you. Let's go to Judges 6. We'll start in verse 11. I want to talk about Gideon, someone who had a terrible self-image. And over the course of a couple chapters, God met him where he was at. Gideon opened his heart. He got a revelation of who God was, and, and you can just see what happened in his life and the life of people around him. Judges 6, verse 11, the Israelites were being just ransacked by the Midianites, just completely demolished, impoverished, distraught, destroyed. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Why did the angel say this? Because that's who God said he was. And Gideon argued with him. Oh, my Lord. OMG. If the Lord is with us, he'd buy into the lie. 
Is there really a God? Is he really with us? Is he still a miracle worker? Oh, my Lord, if, if he's with us, why then have all, all these things happened to us? Where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites? Is the Lord really with us? He thought the Lord, the Lord isn't with us. Look at all this bad stuff that's happening. Maybe he did miracles before, but he doesn't do them anymore. Miracles were only for a time. Hey, angel, I'm a cessationist. Man, what a, what a horrid theology. I, I saw, I saw um, several ministers that were having a, a literal, they, they called the conference, cessationist conference. What, what a ridiculous thing to call, a, like, hey, and it's $300 a pop to go to it. And there are these guys that, that hate prosperity preaching and hate, you know, John MacArthur and, and uh, like, what, what, what kind of crate, like, we're going to talk about how God doesn't do miracles today. That's the whole basis for the conference. <laughs> what a bunch of horse crap. <laughs> and they, 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 they preach against, you know, churches that, 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 that say that God wants to prosper you, yet they charge $300 a ticket to show up to this thing. Man, what a, what a, what a, anyways. <laughs> Where are all these miracles? I love this, what the Lord did. Verse 14, the Lord just turned to him and didn't even reply to his nonsense. Go in this might. The Lord just gave him a rhema word, a command. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites, have I not sent you? Just keep doing what God has called you to keep preaching what God has called you to preach. Don't worry about the naysayers. So I said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. It's not even a full tribe, it's a half tribe, and of the two half tribes, mine is the, the weaker of the half tribes. Let me just complain as much as I can. And I am the least in my father's house. I have daddy issues. My daddy doesn't even like me. The Lord just keeps going on. Verse 16. Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Wow. It's getting bolder and bolder now. The word of the Lord. As one. Say as one man. I don't care if everyone around you is weak. I don't care if your daddy doesn't love you. As one man who has faith in the arm of the Lord, there's going to be a mighty victory. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. He asked for a sign. God keeps giving him signs because God is extremely gracious. If it had been me talking to Gideon, I just wanted to, would have zapped him right then. Just pull out the almighty smiter. But you can see God's grace all throughout this story. It's, it's beautiful. Let's skip ahead to verse 21. It says, the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff, that zapper, and he didn't zap Gideon, thankfully. 
He zapped this meat, offering the unleavened bread. The fire rose out of the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, the Lord spoke to him directly, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace, Yahweh Shalom, Jehovah Shalom, one of the redemptive names of God. He had a revelation of who God was, and not only that, his relationship with God. God is my peace. God is not against me. God loves me. God cares about me. God, he is my Shalom. It became a personal thing to him. He had a revelation of who he was in God's eyes, that God has shalom towards me. And this, this began to shift everything. Let's skip down to verse... Thirty-three here in a moment. Um, I love what happens after he got this revelation. With great revelation, this is a really great quote from myself. I'm going to give you a great one-liner. With great revelation comes an opportunity to apply it. Immediately after. Hey, Gideon, you know who I am. I am Shalom. Hello, welcome. Hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello. We did that song for the first time, and, and I overheard someone. I don't like this song. Well, it's a good thing you're not in charge around here. <laughs> Preaching on love. Bring it back. Hey, Gideon, you know who I am? This is what I want you to do. Go to your daddy's house and tear down that altar to Baal. So he sneaks out in the middle of the night, has other people help him, doesn't want to get caught because I had daddy issues. I'm scared of my dad. I'm scared of people. No one loves me. No one tears it down. The next morning, the whole town's in an uproar. Who stripped away our altar to Baal? Who's trying to take these pornographic books out of our K-12 libraries? Yay! Yay! Thank God for Derek Wilburn! Yay. And guess what? His father stood up for him. Because Gideon's self-image was being redeemed God began shifting relationships outside of him as well, starting with his father. His father didn't hand him over to the wolves. His father stood up for him and actually assigned him a new identity, a positive identity. He said, Gideon, I have a nickname for you. This is what fathers do. They give their kids nicknames. Ada is Potato. And she likes her little nickname. She says, Ada Potato, Ada Potato. <laughs> Gideon, your name is Jerubal. You're, you're one who kicks Baal's butt. You're a little bail fighter, Jerubal. And then what happens? Do things get better? No, things actually get worse. It's not just the Midianites, now it's the Amalekites, the people of the east that gather together, they cross over, and it, now they're getting closer and closer and closer. There's more, it's not just one army now, it's three armies and they're getting closer. But something happens, verse 34, what happens? The spirit. The Spirit of the Lord 
How many of you are glad that you had a pastor last Wednesday talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he sang an a cappella song in a choir. No, he got a trumpet, and he blasted that sucker. It was a Pentecostal service moment. And people began gathering around him to see what's going on. As one man, he assembled an army of 32,000. Not too bad. Later on in scripture, we see that this army actually had over 120,000 people. So he had about a fourth of the manpower initially. But God told him, too many. Too many. They're not going to think it was me. Day one, boot camp. This is the worst type. How many of you have served in the military and went to boot camp? Quite a few. Did they just tell you, if you're scared, just go home? That's what we're going to do the first day of boot camp. Your drill sergeant, did they tell you that? This is what Gideon did. God told him, hey, speak to them and say, hey, if you're scared, just go home. In the natural, that's actually a very terrible way to run your boot camp and to start off training a brand new army. Went down to 10,000. Of the 10,000 men there, God said, see how they drink water. If they just stick their head in the water, send them home. If they put their hand up to their mouth and drink, you can keep them. He's probably praying, God, give me at least 90% you know, of these guys, like 9,000. Only 300 drank that way. Let's go to Judges 7, verse 19. He has this army of 300 men. Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpet. I, I, he gave them all trumpets. And broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpet. Blew the, he only had three companies of 100. They blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands, the trumpets in their right hands for the blowing. I don't even know, I guess they had a sword. Hopefully they'd at least had a sword. I think they did because they went and chased them and killed people. I'm assuming it wasn't with the trumpets. <laughs> Some people play the trumpet in a way that could kill you. I know, I've taught beginning flute lessons. It's not as bad as beginning trumpet lessons or beginning oboe lessons. Oh my God, the beginning oboe. I was teaching lessons to beginners, you know, flute. Flute, flute just sounds really huffy, it's not too bad. But I walked into, you know, this, the, the music teacher's office and, and a friend of mine who was getting a doctorate in oboe was teaching beginner oboe lessons. And it sounded like, like a duck dying, getting stabbed. And I just looked at him as I'm making copies, like, how can you do this? <laughs> so they took their trumpets and their torches, and they bl blowed them in a way that started killing people. They ran after them, just blasting these things, just, and they're just dropping dead everywhere, just from the... They probably had swords attached to them. But they shouted, I love this, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and of Gideon as one man. 
as one man who knows that God loves him, that God is at peace with him, that God is not against him, that God is for him. If one person has that revelation, then what happened? 120,000 enemy, enemies were defeated. So my conclusion is this. God is not against you. God is for you. He loves you immensely. Keep going back to his love for you. He wants his love to shine through you to others. And when you understand that, you understand the power of God, the sword of the Lord and of Aaron, the sword of the Lord and of Pastor Lawson, the sword of the Lord and of Mario, the sword of the Lord and of Judy. There is power in knowing that God loves you, that he is for you, that that he is your peace. Give me a trumpet. You want to bring a trumpet Sunday, you got to try out before you can blast it. <laughs> We've had a few renegade shofar players over the year and I over the years and um wasn't pretty. I think Gideon probably sounded better. Anyways, right now Heather's going to come up. My Valentine Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.